Hey, folks, this is Brian Loritz. Welcome to our Summit Churches Kainos podcast. It's a podcast on ethnic unity, looking at what ethnic unity looks like within the context of a large, predominantly white Southern church known as the Summit. And today, I am just really, really excited to have uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. David Platt. Um, there's a lot of things I can say about David, but my heart was first encouraged to hear that David and I share a deep love and affinity for the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> and um, so UGA, uh, I think they're number two as of the latest poll that came out on the playoffs. But um, David, you actually went to U- UGA. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Heather and I went there uh, during some... Uh uh, not as successful football years. And yes. so we've been holding on for a while, man. Yes, yes. Uh, Dave and I have spoken some together. There's a great ministry called PAO, Pro Athletes Outreach. In fact, David, uh, Adam Wainwright, I was speaking one mm-hmm. year uh, at the uh, MLB conference, and you, you can either uh, verify this story or you can say it's false. Adam Wainwright, uh, you know, great picture pitcher with the St. Louis Cardinals, said one year, Cardinals are, pr- are playing the Braves in the playoffs, and he <laughs> calls you, David, and asks you to pray for him right as he's about to play for the Braves, and you tell him no. Is 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 that right? No, wait, wait. That, I, I didn't think that's the story you're going to tell. The story I'm thinking of is uh, I I can't tell him. I I I I don't think I've ever like refused to pray for anybody. So, uh, but but the story I've I've got in my mind, and is when I told him he was playing the Braves. It's like a playoff game or playoff series. And uh, I said, man, I hope that you pitch the lights out. Like, I hope you kill it. And then somebody else comes in in the ninth and blows it and the Braves win. That's exactly and, it. That's what he said. Yeah. And it happened. That's <laughs> exactly what happened. And he texted me and he was like, I, I can't remember what he said, but it was, it was not happy. But it it was it was really funny, but then like the next night they, or the next game they like obliterated the Braves, and I saw a picture of him on the sidelines, and he was just sitting there, kind of watching the game with a kind of a smirk on his face, and I took a picture, and I was like, man, I I saw you there, and he said, Dad, that was me thinking of you at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. The um, like most people, I, I would say, David, my uh, first major exposure to you was through uh, the phenomenal book you wrote called Radical. Mm. Uh, in fact, just by way of encouragement, and I know you hear stories like this all the time. Uh, not long after you wrote the book Radical, probably a year or two later, I was teaching a class on preaching at Gordon Conwell. And one of my students, um, and uh, I'll go ahead and share his name, a student by the name of uh, Gary Anderson, um, he uh, was an investment banker for years, and he read uh, Radical, and because of that book and what God was doing in his heart, uh, he quit his job in the marketplace um, and came, packed up his four kids, uh, became a student at Gordon Conwell, and then later on became one of my associate pastors mm-hmm. uh, at uh, at a church I was pastoring in the Bay Area, and now he is helping to lead a church in Nashville. And so your ministry, and I know you get this often, has had a deep, deep impact uh, mm-hmm. on people uh, all across the world. So extremely, extremely grateful for you, David. 
Oh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's all grace for sure, yeah. bro. And I don't just say that tritely. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why, the main reason I wanted to sit down with you and have this conversation, David, I read uh, your latest uh, book and um, you wrote a chapter uh, in that book, Book's Phenomenal, and you were talking about the subject of race. And I think this is the first time I really um, uh, was ever exposed to kind of your deep convictions uh, as it relates to not only the problem of race, but a real push for ethnic unity across the divide. Uh, as you know, um, you know, Satan deals in division. And uh, so there's principalities and powers whenever you see division at work and especially racial division. And I just remember kind of sitting here reading that you and I grew up in Georgia. I remember one of this, mm. one of your stories, you talk about taking field trips to Stone Mountain and you talk some about that history. I grew up taking field trips to Stone Mountain, Georgia as well. But can you just kind of talk to us as you're helping to pastor and serve this church uh, in the Washington, D.C. area? Um, where, where did your heart, your growing conviction uh, for ethnic unity come from, David? Well, man, I'll try to figure out how to how to answer that in a concise way because there's a lot there, and and it really has a lot to do with this church that I have the privilege of of pastoring in because I grew up in a pretty not pretty almost all white world and um and just uh and even it, I mean all the way till when I came here and I talked about this some in the Don't Hold Back book that. It's just, even in ministry, I mean, I, I just have constantly been surrounded by people who look like me, who mm. have had similar backgrounds as me. And so to come into a, a church setting here in Metro DC, this was back in 2017 is when I started uh, preaching here regularly and then became pastor here. Um, yeah, this very diverse church um, ethnically, so over hundred different countries represented in our church family. And, uh, but not just, uh, ethnic diversity, um, but began learning as I began serving alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ and leadership in the church from different backgrounds and different ethnicities. And some of whom, you know, uh, I began learning a lot from them about blind spots that I've had in my life. I, the way I would I would summarize it uh, is I began to realize that even in a church where there were multiple ethnicities, that didn't mean it was a multi-ethnic church in when it came to the culture of the church. Hmm. Um, yes, there are different ethnicities. That that was that's been the case for sure, but uh, there's still been a majority culture that has prevailed that if you're from an eth another ethnicity that you have to make sacrifices uh more sacrifices than others in order to be a part of like the way uh one of our pastors mike kelsey who uh, is a good friend of yours described it to me as was uh it feels like a bed and breakfast sometimes uh here like it's uh we're able to yeah people from different ethnicities are able to eat the food and uh, sleep in the bed, but it's, it's not, it's not pictures we decided to put on the walls. It's not the uh, meal or the menu for the meal that we really had input into. It's that's kind of determined 
for us. And uh, I saw this play out. Like we, Mike uh, started leading more in our church. He's been, he's been there much longer than I have, uh, 16, 17 years. Um, but he came into a, a more prominent leadership role uh, in 2020, uh, right when COVID and then political and racial tensions were at a high. Um, and so uh, he and I uh, co-preached a sermon um, about uh, just the beauty of uh, being different ethnicities in the same, ch- same church, but what that means for the culture of our church. And uh, there was a lot of pushback to that sermon. And we ended up diving into that summer. Uh, uh, we called it the gospel of the church, justice and race, just a, a di- deep dive into what does the Bible say about these things? And as we did, we were asking questions along the way about from people in our church. Um, and we asked at one point, uh, and there were hundreds of people going through this. We asked, how many of you have ever experienced challenges in our church because of your ethnicity or related to your ethnicity? And it was so interesting. Uh, so 88% of our white members said they'd never experienced a challenge hmm. related to their ethnicity. 97% of our black members said they had. Hmm. And, and at least 50% of Asian, Latino, and Native American members expressed the same. And it was just a glaring picture to me that I need to, I need to listen here. There is, there are, uh, there are challenges even in a multi-ethnic church that I need to be aware of. And we as a church family need to address, we're all going to, and part of what it means to be a Christ-centered community is to make sacrifices for each other, but we shouldn't just be calling certain types of people to make sacrifices right. for each other and either explicitly or implicitly. So anyway, man, I could keep going on and on and I'm glad to dive in any more into that, but that's, that's been eye opening, heart changing, uh, life changing right. for me in a way that, so just to kind of complete that when I was writing this don't hold back book, uh, I feel like it was radical on a whole other level in the sense that, uh, yeah, maybe the way I'd put it is radical didn't go near far enough. Hmm. Um, like how can we address what it means to follow Jesus in our culture and not address this clear divide, uh, racial divide in the church that has persisted for centuries and we're still for the most part cultivating today. So Anyway, yeah, that's that's a summary. Uh, but I'm 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 indebted to the brothers and sisters who have been patient with me and uh, helped me uh, grow in these ways that I definitely needed to grow in. Right. Well, look, I so resonate with this whole idea of what Mike Kelsey, who's an African American senior leader on the team, and we'll talk some about mm-hmm. him, some some strategic things you guys are doing at the church. But I really resonate with this idea of it feeling like a bed and breakfast. You know, I've I've had to tell very well-intentioned leaders who say things like, hey, you know, you're welcomed here. And I'm like, I I get the language and I get the sentiment behind it, but we we don't want people to be perpetual guests, right? Because mm. perpetual guests, the the image that's being sent here is there's another group of people that this is actually their home. Mm. And the moment you start fiddling with kind of the culture of the home uh, is when you set yourself up for some antagonism for a whole lot of ugliness. So 
definitely appreciate what you're saying there. I, I guess what I want to push on a little bit, David, for clarity's sake is, you know, I, I remember, I think you preached on Amos at Together for the Gospel, mm-hmm. uh, which, which was a strong, strong word. And, and, and my heart just leaped when you were talking about issues of race and, and justice. And then to see some of the things that happened at, at McLean, some of the bold convictional sta- um, um, stances that you've taken. Was there a catalytic moment that you can think of that, or moments where you just go, because I've always known you to be one who has a heart for the nations, right? Mm. Um, But this seemed to be a deepening, especially on the local level right here. Can you, can you give us something specific maybe, or maybe it was just simply walking into this church and with all the diversity, I just can't avoid it. But I'm, I'm just wondering if there's something more there. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting. And this will tie into the question, but it's something I was thinking about as you were talking about justice. I remember Mike saying, that's when it feels most like a bed and breakfast, when issues of justice arise. Huh. And, uh, and there's a lot of, there's different perspectives that are not as welcome. Huh. And uh uh, which is why we walk through this journey of okay, the gospel of the church, justice and race. And, uh, but I would say, I, I really would say it was, it was gradual in my own heart. Uh, as the, just the more I served alongside, uh, Mike and so many different others from, uh, very, very different places. I mean, uh, again, by God's grace, leadership in our church from Sri Lanka and Cameroon and South Korea and Texas, right? All sitting together. Like, uh, so, and, and learning from each other like that. But I would definitely say that, um, well, just, it was a gradual opening of eyes to some blind spots. And then when George Floyd and Armored, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, like when these issues of, of, of justice, these injustices really rose to the surface in a public way. And based on, uh, what I had seen in the word about justice in all kinds of new ways in, uh, in the days leading up to that began to apply the gospel to those things. And then to begin to see a lot of pushback in the church toward even having discussions about some of these things, uh, that was very eye opening and catalytic. And that's, it's in large part why I titled this book, Don't Hold Back, because I was, it was a very real and present temptation during those days to, okay, let's just hold back. Let's like, this is causing too much. And I remember uh, sitting with an older, wiser brother in Christ one day, and he knew we were going through just a lot of challenges as a church in part because of, in a large part, because of these things. And, uh, he uh, he looked at me, and I mean, he could tell I was I was I was at a pretty low spot. And he told me a story about a, a pastor friend of his who was being accused of being too much this or not enough that. This was years ago, and uh, he said uh, he said my pastor friend he he gave in and he was able to keep his job, and mm. uh, but he he lost his ministry because he knew. He knew deep down inside he was not willing to pay the price that conviction mm. requires. Mm. And I just remember, and he looked at me, he was like, Pastor, don't hold back. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, and I was, that was a, a needed word mm. in that moment for me because, so that's where I would point to things crystallizing. And even Mike and I and other leaders in the church trying to step in and lead with the word through that. And then all the pushback that started to come, it was, that was catalytic and, okay, do you really believe this? And, uh, and are you willing to, yeah, to stake yourself on this? And, and it was, it was a, it's a no brainer, um, to do so, because when you, when you have conviction from the word and you, you're standing, I mean, it, we, 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 we walked through a process and we dove into hundreds and hundreds of scriptures, just seeing how the word informs our response to issues like this. And, uh, so anyway, that's what I would point to as, as kind of the catalytic moment. Well, on that note, you know, people often ask me, you know, as, as I really feel called by God to, to really push for ethnic unity, like there, there's, there's several different platforms that, that I could flesh out that call, right? I could, I could go the nonprofit route, so on and so forth. I've chosen the, the church. And a part of the reason why I've chosen the venue of the church is just because I just love seeing people in process, you know, mm. when, so when Paul tells the Colossians, uh, I labor to present everyone mature in Christ. Mm. I, I think a part of the pastoral call is to take people on a journey from immaturity to maturity, right? And so that as a pastor, I I, I assume immaturity among the people that I that I lead, mm. right? And one of the areas where I I can assume it is in the area of of race, right? And because of that, my work as a pastor within the context of a local church, I've got strong biblical convictions, but I also have to be have to be patient. Like Paul exhorts Timothy, I want you to teach with all patience. So I hope you see where I'm going with this question, David. There's a tension here, right? Because I imagine there's going to be some some pastor listening to this and just going, hey, it's in the word, boom. I'm going to go from zero to a hundred. And we're going for it here, right? Any words of wisdom as it relates to how to navigate that tension within the context of a church? Oh, man, that's such a good question, Brian, because there is, I, I mean, that's where I was this morning in my time with the Lord and in and, uh, and Second Timothy, just with complete patience. Mm. Um, and so I, I definitely think there is, um, there's a discernment process in shepherding, not just in shepherding a church, even in just in disciple making. So even if I were to bring this down, even just to the most basic level of uh, making disciples, like, well, one, praise God for his patience with us. Praise God for his patience with me. Um, I, I want to be a reflection of his patience, uh, which means, okay, there's, there's going to be a process of growth. And so for me pastorally, um, that involves me going to, I mean, I'm a big believer in the a plurality of leadership in the church. Uh, so to be alongside to the extent possible, uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking in step with the spirit to discern, okay, what's helpful for our church? What's, what's a good process for, uh, yeah, Galatians 419, laboring to see Christ formed in people specifically mm -hmm. on, on this level. And, uh, and how can we how can we take steps forward in that? Realizing, yeah, uh, I mean, rarely do we go from zero to a hundred. Mm. At the same time, I think uh, when there is a catalytic moment, 
that uh, provides an opportunity to take a larger step forward or a more significant step forward. I think that's part of the discernment process. When the Lord provides, when that when that happens, then we I think yeah we need to discern. Okay, is God t- telling us to take more than just a small step on this one? Um, and not that you have to wait for a catalytic moment either, either because then you could be you could find yourself just kind of stalling in a sense and 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 holding back in a way that God's not called you to. But man, I'd be really hesitant to give that counsel, give like more uniform counsel across the board and every circumstance do this. I, I would say uniform across the board, seek out other brothers and sisters in Christ who know or can learn, help understand the context that you're in and and be intentional uh, about how to move forward and to pray, pray for two things in particular, wisdom and courage. Um, I, I, I found myself, I still find myself, I pray for those two things all the time. I don't want one of those without the other. I don't want to be wise yeah. and timid, yeah. like know what to do, but I'm not willing to do it. And I don't want to be courageous and dumb. Like I, I, I want to, and foolish, yeah. like I want to be wise and courageous. Yeah. And, uh, and God promises to give us both those things. Um, so to really seek both those things and, and in humility, I mean, that's another huge part of it. Uh, and I'm not saying I've got humility down by any means, but I, I pray all the time for humility to shepherd people well and to be patient yeah. um, as the Lord's been patient with us. It's good. One of the big steps that you've taken forward is has to do with one of your key senior leaders who's been there. We've already mentioned him, Mike Kelsey, African-American leader. Um, so from my understanding, he was a campus pastor for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say in your structure, uh, the title of lead pastor, like your lead pastor, he's lead pastor. Uh, I sitting in my inbox, in, inbox right now is an invitation to come to his installation service. So can you, can you help us understand the leadership structure, the shifts that have been made? And, I, and look, Mike is a well-qualified, capable leader, period. But he also happens to be African-American. You happen to be white, serving within the context of this multi-ethnic church. So I'm sure that that's playing a part of maybe to some degree uh, a part of the decision making. So can you help us process kind of what the roles are, what the relationship will be in within an ethnic unity diversity context? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be glad to. So Mike, as I mentioned, he's been serving for 16, 17 years in different roles. And then most recently as uh, one of our location pastors, campuses, locations, um, and uh, has, I mean, that location has thrived under his pastoral leadership. And he's had um, influence in many ways across our church. But around 2020 is when I I had just gotten to know Mike more and more, learned so much from Mike, have just deep respect for Mike and his patience, I should add, hmm. um, and his wisdom and courage. Uh, so, um, but I, I realized, uh, again, this goes back in part to just my conviction about plurality of leadership in the church, but Mike has, has gifts and perspective and skill uh, in pastoral leadership um, for a variety of reasons, not just uh, his ethnic makeup, but right. for a variety of reasons right. that uh, I have a lot to learn from and, and I believe would be beneficial not just for that location in our church, but for our church as a whole. 
So I invited him to come alongside me on like a lead. So I was the lead pastor that time on a lead pastor team. We were set to vote on that in uh, uh, June, 2020, but uh, COVID hit in March and the world turned upside down and, and we didn't have a meeting in June, 2020. And then things just, I mean, yep. I went out of control in a variety of different ways in the world and, and in the church. And, um, and so we've been waiting and building until just the last, uh, I'm trying to remember now, it's a month or so ago, uh, a little over that, but we uh, we finally got back around to, Mike's been leading alongside me in different ways, but he had not been affirmed by the church in that role as an elder and lead pastor in our church. So uh, we put before him before the church for affirmation that way. And we made clear, okay, so he and I are both going to be lead pastors, but we made clear he's going to be the leader of lead pastors. Hmm. Um, so I'm still going to be, uh, yeah, shepherding this church as an elder and as a lead pastor, but I want to yield some of my, some of the uh, weight of leadership among the lead pastors, I want to yield that to him. And so we made that clear to the church. This is not me stepping out. This is me. And then part of it, you know, there's a lot of things in my own life personally that uh, I I do want to, as I am part of pastoring this church, want to give my life to getting the gospel to 3 billion people who've never heard it and want to make sure to steward that part of God's call in my life. But I see God's clear call and gifting in Mike and his background and his skills and just God's grace in him. I am thrilled about even on this lead pastor team submitting to his leadership. Mm. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so he's, he was affirmed by our church family to be in that role. And so now he's stepping into that role. I mean, I think about recent meetings I've been having with him where I'm just like, Hey man, here's the bowling ball. Like, you, you, uh, so, uh, but, uh, in a, a way that really I'm, I'm overjoyed. And again, I, I have learned so much from him. I continue to learn from so much from him. And I hope that's, uh, I think he'd say that's, that's mutual, but, uh, I, I mean, I, again, I love plurality of leadership in the church, but to see him, um, in light of the patience, wisdom, and courage we've talked about. And again, not just because of his ethnicity by any means, but because of God's grace in his life and God's grace in his life through, that's part of the point, like through our ethnicities yeah. that uh, to see him raised up to lead in this way at this time. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I, I'm thrilled our church like behind that and we're moving forward in ways that I hope uh, will help us to lean in all the more to these issues with the gospel firmly in our hands, but to cultivating the kind of multi-ethnic, beautiful community God's designed us to be. Amen. David, one of the things I say on this podcast all the time as we're preparing to wrap up is I don't think every church should be multi-ethnic. I do think every mm. church should look like its community. Mm. And there should be just a gospel greed that we have to not just reach part of our community, but to reach the whole of our local mission field, right? Mm -hmm. And the picture you're painting is that's your mission field is diverse. So what's driving this isn't some kind of political ideology. What's mm -hmm. driving this is deep gospel missiology, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I hear you saying, uh, and I want our listeners to just grab hold of, no matter what your church leadership structure may be, 
there should be in a very Acts 13 church at Antioch kind of way, mm-hmm. um, not only a plurality of leadership, whatever that looks like, but there should be empowered minority leadership that's representative of your mission field, right? Mm-hmm. And so some may want to take the steps that you're taking and Others that may look different uh, for us here at the summit, uh, JD is clearly the lead pastor, senior pastor, uh, but he has empowered me uh, to be on the senior leadership team and to speak, whatever. That, that yes, has some competency issues there, uh, a lot of that, but there's some of that too that says representation matters. Uh, last major question mm-hmm. for you, uh, David, as we prepare. Can I, to- can I hit something re- real quick there? I just want to, uh, and I know we're running out of time, but uh, because I've heard it said, well, we don't have uh, diversity in leadership. I mean, yeah, I've heard it said because we don't have enough qualified people who are of uh, different. And I just, so for anybody who thinks that, well, one, just ask the question, why is that? Hmm. What, well, either one, have you created a, a standard for leadership that actually is more mono-ethnic than it should be like are you just looking for leaders who look like you or think exactly like you or two why have you not cultivated uh that kind of leadership in different ethnicities um and and to your point this is it's yeah gospel missiology it's the great commission uh it's making disciples of the nations and that was that was a clear disconnect in my own life i just love you mentioning that this is not like politically driven the last thing i want to do in metro dc is be politically driven like i want to be driven by the gospel but that's the thing i have talked for years about making disciples of all the nations well if if i'm just making disciples where i live among people who look like me and uh then i've i've kind of missed the point from the start and so uh yes how are we doing disciple making among the nations where we live in our community uh so anyway i just wanted to mention a couple of those things so, so here's, here's the thing that I literally had a moment reading your book, Don't Hold Back, where I set the book down and it was a woe kind of a moment. You, um, you really surprised me in a great way, David, when you're talking about the nature of racism, personal versus structural. Can, can, can you can you give just a soundbite or so on that? Like, I, I don't want to give the whole thing away um, because I really do want people to get the book. But in the context of 2020, like that's one of the things that I, we just kept hearing and we continue to hear today that we want to reduce this racism thing to just kind of a personal thing and ignore any kind of historical or maybe even systemic thing. You know what I'm talking about when I bring that up, David? Yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. I'm trying to figure out how to do it in a soundbite. So I would say, yeah, uh, for anybody listening, like, uh, yeah, hopefully this, if there's any questions that come from the soundbite that you would go to the context and uh, the way I dive into it in the book and not saying I've got it all figured out, but that would be expressing what I'm saying is that I, I, I believe it's really helpful for all of us with humility to ask the question, are there, uh, so personally, are there uh, intentional or unintentional expressions of racism in our lives? Uh, and to do that in the context of multi-ethnic community is, is a really helpful exercise. 
Um, I mean, it's, it's needed uh, for our own growth in Christ. But then we would be foolish if we didn't think that the structures and systems and, and not just, I mean, in, in everything, in the church and the world around us, weren't affected by the people who lead out in those structures and systems, and not just the people who are leading out now, but the the his, history behind those systems and structures. I mean, there's it's not like churches segregated by the color of our skin for no reason, or just uh, it just kind of happened. Like there's there's reasons personally and structurally behind that that have led to that reality over centuries in our in our country that if we're going to address won't just mean okay we each need to have a personal conversation over a meal with somebody of a different color like no like we've got to think through deeply what is this what is this saying about our lives what is this saying about the systems and structures that we live in and to we of all people should be eager as people who are commanded to do justice, to dive into those things in our own lives personally and in the systems and structures around us. And I would even say, and it's one of the things I say in the book, of all people, those who have uh, at least ancestors have used those systems and structures to cultivate this kind of division then and injustice, then we of all people should be most zealous to listen to, learn, and make adjustments to do justice in any ways that are still needed. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how that is for soundbite because there's a lot there. Right. And that's one of the things I talk about in that chapter, like, oh, there's so many landmines. But I, even that comes back to surely as the church of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit of God, we're the most equipped to have these kinds of conversations, to listen to each other, to learn from each other, to challenge each other in a spirit of Christ and uh, to be conformed more to the image of Christ as a result as brothers and sisters in Jesus. So uh, if we're not able to have those kinds of conversations and these kinds of things, and uh, then we're, we're missing the point of what it means to be family in Christ in the first place. The book is Don't Hold Back. I want to encourage you to definitely pick it up. Um, and all of the chapters are wonderful. Um, and for more on David's latest uh, answer, I'd go to his chapter there on race. Uh, let's end on a note of encouragement. Um, David, how have, you, how have you been encouraged in this journey specifically of ethnic unity? What fruit maybe have you seen at the church, evidences of God's grace at work as you've taken these wise, courageous steps in this area? Oh, man, I, there's nothing like the beauty of the body of Christ in its fullness. And uh, I mean, even as I say that, I, I know there's thousands of unreached people groups still today. So the, the family's not complete, but the more uh, we experience the body of Christ in its multi-ethnic beauty, the more we grow in Christ, the more we, I mean, I just think about, man, I love this church that God's given me the privilege of, of just being a part of, even more so to pastor in. I love these leaders like Mike and many others who I have the opportunity to serve alongside who come from very different backgrounds than me, who have very different perspectives than me, who, uh, have have challenged sanctified me i i love jesus more 
as a result of experiencing the multi-ethnic beauty of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to be careful there. Like I, you mentioned it, if, if uh, someone lives in a community where there's just not uh, ethnic diversity, I, I don't want to in any way imply that they're missing out on Jesus uh, or obedience to Jesus. Um, at the same time, like we're, we're all looking forward to Revelation 7, 9, and 10, where, where we're all fully complete in Christ with every nation, tribe, language, and people. So there is a sense in which we are wanting that. And, uh, and I just, I've found that a hundred percent, it's worth it. It's worth it to pursue the kind of, uh, multi-ethnic unity that we see in Ephesians 2. Like it's worth it to experience it. And, uh, and and as a result, we have a better understanding ultimately of not only who who our father is, but where he's leading us in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. Well, David, I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate your conviction. I appreciate your heart and life for Jesus Christ, your heart for the nations, mm-hmm. both internationally, globally, and locally as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the next time I'll see you, we'll be together in Chattanooga for a campus outreach event. Yes. Uh, over the holidays. And so maybe we can grab breakfast or something. Hey, folks, you've been listening to the Summit Church's Kainos podcast. We're a podcast on ethnic unity, uh, just trying to explore what ethnic unity looks like in a large, predominantly white Southern church. And uh, we are heavily dependent on the grace of God uh, to flesh these things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, in hev- in Raleigh, Durham, in the Washington, D.C. area, as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so you've been listening to my conversation with David Platt. Hope you found this an encouragement. <laughs>